Amen. Well, you may be seated. Welcome, children. It was great to have you guys. Be nice to your teachers. Teachers, be nice to your, your children. And love having our, our children in the worship center. What a blessing. And uh, now the teachers can take care of them. I'm going to have you turn to Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the black Bibles in front of you and you can find Judges 16 on page 201. But before we go there, what I want to do is I want to share a little bit about our trip, my trip to Cluj, Romania. Uh, I was with uh, Dale Gloria Church there. Uh, just to give you a little background, um, I've known the pastor, Yannika Martafi, uh, really since 2012 when I was involved with planning a church in Moldova. He actually was, he was running Mission Without Borders in Eastern Europe. Uh, this is a picture of Cluj. I'll just keep it there for a minute. And um, he, uh, he was one of the key leaders, and then he moved to Rod, Romania. A few years later, he was involved with overseeing a church planting arm uh, of an of a organization we were involved with. And then he moved about two years ago to Cluj, and uh, he started pastoring a church there. And our leaders, we talked about it at length, and we wanted to come alongside this work. And we're so thankful that we have. And so I was able to come along and be a part of this uh, this last week. We, uh, I, I spent uh, the week in Cluj. And let me just give you a little bit of a context of where Cluj is. We're, it's, it's located in Eastern Europe. Romania is in Eastern Europe. It was part of the former Soviet Union. Uh, there, there were 15 countries that were part of that. In fact, they remained under, uh, they remained under authoritarian uh, rule up until 1989, the revolution, when they overthrew Ceausescu. And so there's the remnants of the communist regime there, but people are very thankful to have their freedom. And I can tell you, like, our freedom here, it's an amazing thing when you go to another country and you realize it. Let me just show you a quick map of, of Romania, of Cluj. Cluj is kind of in the northwest quadrant of the country, Bucharest, which is the capital, is in the southern part. Cluj is, is a town of about 500,000 people. It's nestled between these hills. It's, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. And um, they, uh, it's a college town. They have about 100,000 students. It's also considered the, um, the Silicon Valley of Eastern Europe. So there's a lot of technology there. 4% of Cluj is evangelical. In fact, in Bucharest, it's 0.04%. I mean, it is a, there's a great need. You've got, a, you've got the um, Orthodox Church there. You have the, the Baptist Union there, which is a very legalistic uh, group. And then you also have a Pentecostal, which is more of like our charismatic churches. And so evangelicals is only about 4%. Um, I want to just kind of show you a picture of the building. Uh, they had a, we had an opportunity to help them. Uh, uh, rent a building about uh, seven months ago. This doesn't look like much. It's in an industrial, more because right on the edge of a residential area, it's an industrial building. But if you see that sign, it's a massive sign on the front of the building. It says Dale Gloria in the front uh, upper left-hand corner. But that's the entrance right there next to the Coke machine. And But if you look at the at the bottom left, you'll see this glass kind of a window with it looks like they're still painting there. That's going to be a new entrance into the church because we've just been able to help them secure some space downstairs. Their church is upstairs. It was all warehouse downstairs. And the prayer is that eventually the whole building will be theirs. 
Um, uh, but let me just take you to the next picture. You go in. This is what the building looked like when they first took it over. Uh, this next picture shows a little bit of that to the entrance to the building. They're going to have their welcome center there. But you actually go into this narrow hallway and you go upstairs. I'll show you the stairs going up. There's a welcome. They've kind of redone all that, repainted everything. They've, they've done a lot of it themselves. You go upstairs uh, and uh, they've got a welcome ministry. We have a welcome ministry. They have a welcome ministry. And this is uh, Unika's wife, Pastor Unika's wife, and one of his daughters, Debbie. And they have what they call, they don't, now, they, if you look at this next picture, they don't have rainbow donuts, but they have what they call cakes. And they, I mean, it's like they, they know people, people there like to eat like people like here like to eat. I mean, they like donuts like you like donuts, but theirs a are a little bit fancier. Uh, but they also have coffee. Now, they don't have pressed coffee, but, okay, this is their coffee machine for the whole church. And it's espresso. And I looked at them and I said, you guys need a new coffee machine. Now, we're, we support them financially. So a portion of what you give to the work here goes to Romania. Our goal is, um, our, our, our goal is to have a minimum of 10% of our budget go to missions. This is part of our, you know, our missions is based on Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, the outer ends of the earth. This is kind of our outer ends of the earth ministry. We're going to be talking next week about Angel Tree, which is our local Jerusalem ministry. But uh, this is going to be, this is one of the leaders in making coffee. And, and I said, you guys need a new coffee machine. They, you know, they're expensive. So maybe one day we can help them with that. And then, uh, but then you go into the, um, the worship center. This is the welcome center. There's people starting to get into there. This is upstairs. Eventually, this will be children's, more children's ministry in this area, or they'll expand the worship center. The worship center seats about 200 people. This is during the worship service. Now, normally they weren't wearing masks, but because of the Delta variant spike, they were required to wear masks. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of people there, like here, they, they don't love wearing masks. Um, but this is during a worship time. And I, I, I just want to step back real quick. I said it to our worship team this morning. We meet as a worship team every Every Sunday morning, we have a time to, to, to walk through the service, but also to pray. And I said, you know, it was amazing as, as I was uh, there for the worship service practice, and they're singing songs that we knew, but in Romanian. I just started to weep. And I, I thought, you know, I've had the blessing of being able to worship in Chennai, India, in the Amazon, in uh, Mexico City, in Guatemala City in, in um, Canada, here in Phoenix, we're all worshiping the same God. It just struck me. I mean, here you have people all over the world, they're worshiping in different languages, but they read the same Bible, they worship to the same God, and it's awesome just to realize how God has moved among his people. Well, um, while I was there, I did a lot of training, a lot of teaching. They kept me busy from morning until night. I'll show you this. Next picture, this, actually this is during the worship service, uh, that's Pastor Yanika. Uh, he would uh, translate, many people understand English, but they don't necessarily speak English, speak it. So uh, he's introducing me, asking a, a few questions, and then I, and then I, I preached. Um, but then uh, had an opportunity to teach some of their leaders, you'll see that in the next slide. Uh, basically, we would, we would sit and... So much of what we were doing there is what we do here. And it's a reminder to them 
that, an over, that, that your ministry should be an overflow of what God's doing in your heart. And it was, it, was, it, was an over, it was a continuous conversation that I had with their people because it's very easy to get horizontal and not to get vertical. You start with the vertical, the vertical drives the horizontal. And we, I took them to, to, to Mark chapter 3. I go, here, I go there many times here, verse 13 and 14, where it says that Jesus went up on the mountain. He called the disciples to himself so he could be with them, and then he sent them out to preach. And, and, and it's a reminder for all of, the, our, all of our leaders here, all of the leaders there, same thing. Spend time with Jesus, let him change your heart, and then go out and be his hands and feet. Uh, this next picture is, is a picture of me with some of the leaders. Uh, it was kind of fun uh, being there. It was cold, so I wore a hat. I mean, when I told them that in Phoenix it was 32 degrees Celsius, you just heard this gasp. Okay, it was 85, 86, 87 here, and it was, it was, it was, it was, 40 to 50 during the day there, it was 30 to 32 uh, at night. It was cold to me. It rained a lot. And uh, so I, you know, wanted to give them a little taste of, of Phoenix. I, you know, I told them all about the church and, and said that we're a church that wants to come alongside and continue to partner with them. This is another picture. This is with some of the worship team. And you can see on the table in the middle, it's pizza. They have really good pizza there. I mean, it, it almost feels like you're in Italy with that, but uh, that, was, that was a lot of fun. And then on Tuesday, I spent the day in Cluj. It's a really beautiful uh, little town, but uh, uh, Adi Rusnak is a pastor. He's the, so the two of us are elders. Me and Adi are the elders for the church until we uh, install elders in, uh, in, in their church. But that's Adi in the foreground. He's, he's pastor of a church in, in Bucharest. He was a former architect. Uh, he's uh, working on his Ph.D. right now in uh, theology just a great young man, and you can see it's a, it's a pretty little town, great basilica. Those basilicas are empty. I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing to see these beautiful churches all over. And I said, will they sell them? They said, they don't sell them. You know, they just hang on to them as long as they can. And then one last thing before I, I go there, um, that they, you know, food was great. And then I think it was on Monday they said, do you like fried chicken? And I look at him and I say, who doesn't like fried chicken? I love fried chicken. They go, we have the best fried chicken in Romania in the world. And I'm thinking, oh, I am like, I am fired up for this. And so if you look at this next picture, you'll see the fried chicken that we ate. <laughs> Kentucky fried chicken. Now you'll notice, you'll notice they had French fries. And they said, now we know that you have fried chicken, Kentucky fried chicken in the United States. But ours is so much better. And actually, it was a lot better. And they said, ours comes with French fries. And when we've come to the United States, we can't believe that the Kentucky Fried Chickens in, in, in the United States don't have French fries. And I said, well, that's way be above my pay grade. I can't help you there. But uh, if you guys come, we would love for you to come. Uh, it would be an opportunity just for us to not eat fried chicken but feel the love of Christ. You know, anyway, I, I just have to say that um, I'm so thankful for our leadership and, and, and for you all that we, we get to come alongside this church. They're, they're running about 150 adults now after less than two years. That's huge in Romania. And there's a, I mean, I walked into the church and it just felt alive. Kind of like when you walk into the church, people are, people are excited. They're excited to be there. They're worshiping Jesus. And it's just amazing to see how how even just with a little bit that we're providing them, it has a huge impact. 
and we're helping them to they're, they're, the downstairs space that they're taking over. They're going to turn it into a community center during the day, but it'll have have uh, youth uh, at night on Friday nights when they have youth. And there's just a lot of opportunities that we have to really come alongside and help this church. And my prayer is that we'll be able to send teams over there when the Delta, you know, when when the uh, when COVID seems to kind of at least go away somewhat, and uh, we would they would love it. They would love to have our people there. Well, let me pray one more time, and then we'll look at God's word. Father, thank you for the work that you're doing in Cluj. Pray for Yanika and Christina and just all the leaders there that are, are putting their shoulder to the work, Lord. And I thank you for the fact that Jesus is, is uh, alive and making an impact in Romania. So, Lord, uh, thank you for our church and the opportunity just to be able to come alongside them and hold up their arms. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Titled this message, Bringing Down the House. Actually, I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to. Usually on Fridays, Thursdays or Fridays, I'll text our worship team, say this is what the message, this is the text, this is my outline, this is the main point. And I said, you know, I said I'm, and, and then we say, what kind of a closer do we want? The closer is an opportunity to respond. And I won't mention who sent it to me, Brandon. But he says, here, here, here's, a, here's a great closer, and it was burning down the house. And I said, if you all remember 1983, uh, any Question for you. If, you. if you carry fire next to your clothes, will they catch fire? Will your clothes catch fire? Yes. If you walk on burning coals barefooted, What's going to happen to your feet? You're going to get burned. Now, we see in Proverbs chapter 6, those two thoughts put in a rhetorical way. And let me put that up on Roman, in Proverbs chapter 6. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? We know the answer is no. Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? No. So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. What that is telling us is that if we flirt with temptation, we're going to get burned. If we allow ourselves to fall into temptations, the results are not going to be good. These are basic truths, yet often Christians ignore those truths. Now, when you study Samson, you see a man who had so much promise to start. I mean, he was called to be a Nazarite from his mother's birth, I mean, from his, in his mother's womb. Yet, he disregarded the basic truths of God. He, he disregarded the promises of God. He He went against the love of God. He toyed with temptation. Now, Samson was a modern man. He was a self-sufficient man, a prideful man, a man who felt like he was bulletproof. Yet, like all of us, he should have memorized 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, which says, you who think you stand, not that one, you who think you stand, take heed lest you fall. But we live in a world where temptation is constant. 
whether you turn on the phone, on the TV, whether you go to the gym, walk down the street, go to school. Temptation is a reality. And the fact is we all face a threefold enemy, the world around us, the flesh within us, and Satan who is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone that he might destroy. The fact is we must be vigilant, vigilant against the temptations around us. So when you read an Old Testament passage like we see in Judges chapter 16, sometimes you can step back and you think, why is this even here? The reason is it is instructive for us. In fact, my big idea is, is based on 1 Corinthians chapter 10.6. We can put that up now. 1 Corinthians 10.6. These things took place as examples for us that we might desire evil as they did. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, he says, listen. These Old Testament scriptures were written. They were examples for us. So that we wouldn't fall into the same problems as they have. And that's why I'm a big believer in reading the Old Testament. Because it is, you know, it's, it's scripture. All scripture is breathed out by God. But they're examples for us. We can learn so much from them. They're warnings to us. Now, as I get into my outline here, you're going to notice something. I've actually used scripture or part of scripture for each one of my applicational points. And I've done that for a very specific reason. Because these scripture verses remind us that the solution to temptation is found in God's word. Our hope in the midst of temptation is found in God's word. And that's why it's so important that we be people of the word. That we open up the word. Personally, in our own devotion time, we open up the word in our small groups. We woke, open up the word. If, if, if you're doing a, a, a study with other people, open up the word. Be people of the word because that is where our hope is. That is where our protection is. So now I want to show you five. I want to look at five examples or five lessons from Samson. Five lessons from Samson. Here's the first lesson. Flee sexual immorality. Flee. Flee sexual immorality. Look at verse 1. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. So Samson travels 45 miles from where he's from. He goes to the far end of Philistia, to the region of Gaza, and it says he sees. One of the greatest problems for us with our temptation is starts with the seeing he sees a woman. Samson was a man who had been called by God, separated out by God, and he had a choice in this moment. Submit to the temptation or what? Flee it. Pretty simple. Submit, fall into it, or flee it. The reality is you really only had one choice. In fact, 1 Corinthians 6.18 tells us to flee sexual immorality. 2 Timothy 2.22 says flee youthful lusts. Once again, 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you flee sexual immorality. And this is not just for men. This is for women also. If you're married, flee it. 
If you're single, flee it. But the temptation always starts with the scene. Samson, he should have gotten out of there. Here was a man with no accountability. He had a thing for women of low character. She was a prostitute, and it's a bad combo. So instead of fleeing, he toyed with sin, and he gave in to it. Now, word spread that Samson was in town. Look at verse 2. The Gazites, people from Gaza, were told, Samson has come here, and they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the, at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night saying, let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. Samson had a reputation. He was known for his scorched earth policy, or as we saw last week, as you saw last week, his, his fire capade, his fox capade. He, he, he set the fire to the tails of 300 foxes, destroying the land. Then he killed 1,000 of the uh, Philistines with a jawbone. Now, the Philistines would have been thrilled to trap him. He, he was a scourge on the land, and they felt that they had him. I mean, now the, the two-story iron gates of Gaza were, were closed. There was, no, there was no getting out, or so they thought. Look at verse 3. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose, and he took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all. And he put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Okay, this was an amazing feat of strength. This was, this was something that you just didn't see every day. The, 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 the Gazites thought they had him. But somehow, I mean, they were, the Gazites must have fallen asleep. And Samson gets up and he literally lifts these gates up on his shoulders. And he takes them out. And he, he ultimately leaves them. You know, the city gates were really important back in the ancient world. Because it protected the town, the city, from outside marauders. He now exposed Gaza to their enemies, thus helping to fulfill the mission that we saw back in chapter 13, verse, verse 5, where he was told, or his parents were told, that he would begin to save Israel from the Philistines. But behind the scenes, Samson was tempting fate in fact, I read this. He was driven by lust and desire, not conviction and commitment. I think that's a good reminder for us. He was driven by desire and lust, not conviction and commitment. And I think it's a, it's a good challenge for us as believers in Jesus Christ with all of the temptations we have around us, with our, with our cell phones, with social media. Are we driven by lust and desire or are we driven by our convictions and commitments to the word of God? Now, by this point, Samson, if you were to interview him about his walk with Christ, he would have probably said the right things. But what was going on inside was clearly anything but walking in the Lord. So first lesson we learn from Samson, flee sexual immorality. Here's the second lesson. God provides you a way of escape when you're tempted. It's a really good reminder. We know that being tempted is not sin. The key is what you do when you are tempted. We know that Jesus was tempted, right? How did Jesus fight the temptation of the devil? 
Anybody? With the word of God. It is written. The word of God. The fact is, we will be tempted, but no matter how great the temptation, God gives us a way of escape. Look at 1 Corinthians 10.13. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The fact is, we will all be tempted. But because God is faithful, he will give us a way out. But we must take it. We see that with Samson in these following verses. Over and over again, Samson was given a way of escape. Look at verse 4. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sarek whose name was Delilah. Is there an underlying theme here with Samson? Do you see what his weakness is? He, he's got a woman problem. Samson liked women. And he liked women that were Philistines. The enemy. He had an insatiable desire for the opposite sex. So after carrying the gates probably 40 miles, he goes back down into Philistine territory and he falls for another Philistine woman. Now, Samson to date has not been successful in picking women. And, and here he, he, he blows it again. Maybe three times will be a charm or not. But word gets out that Samson's in the land. And the fact is, Delilah is made an offer she can't refuse. Look at verse 5. And the lords of the Philistines. Now, we know from Joshua chapter 13, verse 3, if you have have cross-references down at the bottom of your, you can go back to Joshua chapter 13, verse 3, and you see that there's five regions or five areas within Philistia. There's Gad, there's Eklon, there's Gath, there's there's, um, Ashdod, there's Gaza, and Ashkelon. I think that was six, but I think I, I repeated something twice. But notice what it says here. They came to her and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him and we shall each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Okay, five lords, 1,100 pieces of silver each. For you mathematicians, 5,500 pieces of silver it is said that 1,100 pieces of silver was approximately 110 years' worth of wages. So 5,500 pieces of silver would be 550 years of wages. Are you starting to get to see the, the amount of money that is being offered? I mean, if, if, if somebody made an average of $50,000 a year, times 550 years of wages, that'd be about $27.5 million that she was offered. So this is where the deception and the manipulation begins. Look at verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that, that one could subdue you. Now, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, 
But if I'm hearing that, I'm thinking, okay, something doesn't, this doesn't pass the smell test. There's something wrong here. And Samson, in that moment, should have gotten a clue pill and gotten out of there. But Samson likes to play games. He likes riddles. So he's playing. Look at verse 7. Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Now, again, bowstrings, they come from the sinews of an animal. And if you remember, his, his Nazarite vow doesn't allow him to touch a dead carcass. But this, once again, is breaking that, uh, uh, that Nazarite vow. Verse 8, then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now, she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber. That's weird. And she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of, as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Now, we don't know when she called out the fact that the, the Philistines were on him, if they actually came out of the chamber or not. But once again, this is just a, this is one of those opportunities to just like, okay, wisdom says this is not right. I mean, it'd be like, let's say you're a banker and you have a girlfriend and she says, you know, I would love to have a key to the bank and I'd love to have, a, I'd love to have the code to the, um, uh, to the alarm and while you're at it, I'd just like to have the combination to the safe. And you're thinking, like, why would you want that? I mean, if you put two and two together, you realize there's a problem. But Samson's not going there. He likes to play the game. So, verse, actually verse, verse 10. Then Delilah said to Samson, behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. We saw that back in chapter 15. He snapped those ropes, but she goes for it. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. God has now given Samson two opportunities to escape. Listen, God provides you a way of escape when you are tempted. But Samson, he's feeling invincible, so he plays on. Verse, uh, verse 13, then Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and, and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight, uh, with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Each time he says, I shall be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web, and she made, him, made them tight with the pin and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. Then he woke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom, uh, and the web. Not sure what happened to her loom, but probably got destroyed. But Samson, when you read this, it just reminds you of Proverbs chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Let me just put it up there. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, 
or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. I mean, you're seeing this happen. She's this master seducer, and you're, you're like, you're reading this, and you're, you start to scream as you're reading it, like, Samson, run, run. It's like, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's like, run for us, run, get out of there. Samson ultimately folds like a cheap suit. Look at verse 15. And she said to him, how can you say I love you? She's really manipulating now. When your heart is not with me, you have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day after day after day and urged him, his soul vexed to death. He got tired, annoyed, worn out by her. And he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head. For I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Up until this point, you've always wondered, did he understand that he had a Nazarite vow? But clearly he did. He knew that he had been separated to God and been separated out by God. But he didn't live that way. He'd forsaken his call. Here's what we know. He's now like an ox that's been led to slaughter. Verse 18, when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines saying, come up again for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands, she made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. That guy's a deep sleeper for sure. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him, and she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. Now, a question you have to ask is, was Samson's strength in his hair? Was his hair his superpower? And for those of us that don't have much hair, we, we're thankful that the answer is no. Where was his superpower? It was in the Lord. It just represented his, his hair represented his Nazarite vow. Yet he lost his strength when he cared more about what Delilah thought than about God's call. And now we get to probably one of, the, one of the saddest statements in the Bible. Notice what it says here at the end of verse 20. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Ichabod. The Lord had left him and he didn't even know. He flirted with temptation for too long. And the Lord, Lord left him. God had shown so much patience and now had had enough. Can you take fire to your chest and not be burned? Can you walk on hot coals and your feet not be burned? The answer is no. And that's what we see take place here. 
It's what we see in Proverbs 1, 24 through, 20, uh, through 31. We see how God's greatest wrath is when he abandons us. Let me put that up on the screen. Because I have called you and refused to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but I will not find, but, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. God's wrath, Romans 1 tells us, is when he gives us up to our sin. When God gives us over to our sin, that is God's wrath. He's abandoned him. God gave up Samson. Samson was given a way of escape over and over again, but he didn't take it. Which leads us to our third lesson. Do not put the Lord to the test. Do not put the Lord to the test. It's a good reminder for all of us. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he said very specifically to Satan, he, he actually was quoting Deuteronomy 6.16. He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. How many of us could have avoided so much heartache and difficulty if we had just learned this lesson? But Samson put the Lord to the test and learned a horrific lesson. Look at verse 21. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shekels. And he ground at the mill in the prison, grinding wheat, dragging a stone, a millstone. Let me ask you, are you putting the Lord to the test? Is there something you're not fleeing that you should flee? Maybe this message is God's grace to you, giving you an opportunity to run. Has God given you a way out, yet you've blown it off? Learn the lesson of Samson. Don't put the Lord to the test. Then we see just a glimmer of hope in this. Look at verse 22. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. This leads us now to the fourth lesson. Your sin is not beyond God's forgiveness and redemption. Your sin, no matter how bad, is not beyond God's forgiveness and redemption. So we see the Philistines now make a mockery of, Sa of, of Samson, but more importantly, they make a mockery of God. Look at verse, look at verse 23. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered uh, to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. So they're rejoicing in their God. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, our God, speaking of Dagon, has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, meaning they'd had too much to drink, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. 
made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me fill the pillar on which the house rests that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Now, this was the, the temple of Dagon. The house is packed with men and women. All, the fi- all five lords of the Philistines were there. Up on the roof, 3,000 more. But if you remember, the call on Samson's life is he would begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. God is giving him an opportunity here. And now we see Samson do something that we've not seen him do really throughout his life. And that's to pray a true prayer of faith to the Lord. Not a, not a prayer like in chapter 15 where he wanted water because he was thirsty. But he's crying out to God. Look at verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, Lord God, Please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. There's a dependence on the Lord. There's a need for the Lord. Maybe it was in his deepest valley that Samson first looked up to the Lord, started crying out to him, kind of like the prodigal son. We see that the Lord has not abandoned him, even though Samson has abandoned the Lord. It's a reminder of those of you maybe that have forsaken the Lord or greatly sinned or feel like that you've, you've made such a hash of your life that there's no turning back. Know this. Your sin is not beyond God's forgiveness and redemption, no matter how badly, how badly you sinned. Look at verse 29. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he 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 bowed, he 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 bowed with all of his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his whole life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. Samson brings down the house. But he does it in faith and repentance. This was clearly the Lord's doing. The Lord was starting to destroy, starting to save from the Philistines. We'll see in 1 Samuel where, where God uses Saul and then David to take care of the Philistines. But you see God's providential hand working behind the scenes, reminding us that in that moment, God heard Samson's prayer. As far gone as Samson might have thought he had been, the minute you turn back to God, God hears your prayers. If we confess our sin and pray to the Lord, which brings us to our final lesson, that's this. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Call upon him.
That's a lesson from Hebrews 4, 7, which says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as in the day of rebellion. It's a reminder from Romans chapter 2, verses 4. Let me just put it up on the screen. Romans 2, 4, which says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Some of you might be thinking, I don't feel like I'm, I'm under God's condemnation. Don't presume on God's kindness. That's meant to lead you to repentance. God's love is meant to lead you to repentance. But also, we know from Romans chapter 10, verse 13, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If we turn from our sin and turn to Jesus, we can be saved. When you look at the life of Samson, what is amazing is he ends up in the Hebrews Hall of Faith. That's kind of shocking, isn't it? But the fact is, it's not how you start that matters. It's how you finish. Samson finished in faith, crying out to God. It's like the thief on the cross today, where Jesus, you know, he says, Lord, remember me in paradise. He says, when you enter into your kingdom, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. The fact is, his life ended in an act of faith. So what does that say to you? It's not too late to turn to the Lord in repentance and faith. No matter how much you've forsaken him, he's not forsaken you. And the fact is, these things took place as examples to us so that we might not desire evil as they did. So as our worship team comes up here, let me just say this. If you even have a sliver of conviction about the life you've been living, the sin you've been engaging in, maybe how far you've allowed yourself to get from the Lord, realize this. If you call out to him, he will hear you. He hears the cry of true confession and repentance. I would encourage you, be reconciled to God today. Father, thank you for the reminder of of your just incredible mercy and grace. That your loving kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. Father, I thank you for the fact that even when we forsake you, you won't forsake us. Father, for those that might be struggling in a different area of their life right now, I pray that their eyes would be turned towards you in faith and hope and repentance. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.